Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. I'm Andy Schmidt here with Tom Flaherty, head pastor at City Church. Thanks for coming on, Tom. Um, today, we're going to be doing part two, kind of, of uh, how was the earth created? Um, we had part one at this point, probably last week. So uh, Tom has kind of a unique, di- different viewpoint that I had never heard until you told me like like two months ago um, that I think would be good to share and for people to think through and think about. And so Tom is going to come on and talk to us about creation and how he thinks the earth was created. So Tom, do you want to just get started? I would love to, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. And Andy and I always have very spirited conversation. I really appreciate that. I'd really like to to pray for our listeners before we get started, if that's okay. Let's do it. Lord, thanks so much for your great, great love and how important to you it is that our minds reconcile science and the Bible, that we are not living in constant angst um, as to feeling like we have to either disbelieve the Bible or reject our minds. And uh, so, God, I just pray as we speak, would your peace be here? And uh, Lord, would you uh, just give everyone room to, to think, to ask honest questions and to think about your word and to think about what science is actually revealed. And so, God, we love you and uh, we pray you would direct this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, bro. Uh, the first thing that I, I would like to say is how important it is to reconcile our minds and our hearts in our faith. Um, Jesus said that we were to love God, not just with all of our heart, but also with all of our minds. Christianity does not demand the rejection of our minds. Even though God transcends our mind and therefore the highest way to God is through childlike faith because that's how we can get more. Our our minds are, are limited, but our minds are not in opposition to faith. Um, here's what happens if we don't reconcile our mind and our heart. One we can end up seeing our minds as an enemy to our faith. Um, Two, we can be afraid of evaluating claims that don't support what we already believe. And this is a very good way to never grow (laughs) because you can never look at anything that doesn't already agree and support what you already believe because your faith is so insecure and you're afraid of what your mind, the places your mind might take you. And then thirdly, when we don't reconcile our mind and our heart, um, we always live in a fear of witnessing to people because we're afraid that someone smart might ask us a question that we won't have a good answer to. Um, In this reconciling of our minds and hearts, this is absolutely critical that we allow other Christians room to reconcile their mind and their hearts differently than we do. 
um, one of the early tenets of the faith was in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. And the enemy wants to divide Christians on anything that he possibly can. And certainly this topic has brought deep division um, between Christians. Here's what I want you to know that we agree on. All Christians agree on this. And don't minimize this. This is a lot to agree on concerning creation. Number one, God created. That God is above and beyond the creation and not part of the creation itself. We all agree on that. Everybody that's a Christian agrees on that. Secondly, we believe that God created all things out of nothing. God himself existed before creation and everything that is came out of nothing by the word of God. Thirdly, we agree that mankind is the highest creation and that has been made in the image of God. And fourthly, we believe that sin has damaged God's creation and put all mankind in need of redemption offered in Jesus Christ. Every Christian agrees on all of those things about creation, and that's a lot to agree on. But you're going to have people, I have very good friends, dear friends, that I agree to disagree as to how God created. So I'm going to give you right now, Andy, three views that I agree to disagree with. One of them is the one that Jim and Dr. Humphreys gave uh, a, a couple days ago. Um, the first one is called theistic evolution. Um, 30% of Americans take this view that evolution is true, but it was guided by God. Lots of Christians believe this. Catholics believe it. InterVarsity published a book by, uh, called The Language of God by Francis Collins, which promotes um, theistic evolution. Uh, Blackhawk had uh, has conferences that embrace this position. Um, heroic Christians like Tim Keller and C.S. Lewis believe in theistic evolution. Um, how does this view work? Um, God, in his infinite wisdom that transcends human understanding, set up a natural process which he foreknew, which would lead to life and eventually to mankind. He created life. He is the author of the Big Bang, and he set in place the laws of natural selection that Darwin observed. Genesis 1 is written in the genre of poetry and not an actual creation account to understand the Bible. Um, a theistic evolutionist would say, you have to understand the genre, the truth is being communicated through, that there's prophetic genre and poetic and historical and parabolic and allegories and myth all used to communicate truth. And so different theistic evolutionists do it a little differently. Um, some believe that Adam and Eve were the first people, that God used evolution and they are actually the first, they were actual people, Adam and Eve were. Um, others believe that Adam and Eve are representative names, um, but that Genesis 1 should be written, read more in the genre of poetry. Um, here's the all-important thing for the, the theistic evolutionist view. 
that the that worldview is very different than scientific theory. Um, macro evolution, as presented by Darwin, led to a worldview of randomness that is absolutely rejected by the theistic evolutionists. Um, Tim Keller wrote, uh, you know, about this in the reason for God. So that's theistic evolution. You look like you want to say something about that, bro. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> no, I, I I'm listening to it, and I'm trying I'm trying to think of like. Um, like to me, so my mind has kind of decided on the six day creation, which you're probably going to get to. And we talked about it in the last podcast, but it, I just think it's interesting. Do you know, like when that, I, that viewpoint of, uh, theistic, uh, that, that viewpoint that you just said, when that started to like originate, because it hasn't it been more recently that that's gotten more popular. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, Darwin didn't even come out with his theory until 1859. Right. So, and, and so, and then it didn't really become accepted to scientists until the early, late 1800s, early 1900s. And then, um, and then Christians, uh, Christians oftentimes in the past have rejected science and then later had to repent. And so, Many Christians just got on board with, hey, evolution is science. That doesn't change my faith in Jesus Christ. That just means this is did it. And so, yeah, that is that is it is a recent view. I think out of all the viewpoints, that's probably the one that I disagree with the most. And so I'll just you can just continue on before yeah. I get really well, bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I will give why I disagree with that one later. But um, yeah. Uh, go on to the second view that I agree to disagree with. This is the day age view. This is uh, one of the guys that highlighted this is Hugh Rost, uh, an astrophysicist. He, he's got a ministry called Reasons to Believe. Um, many of the other intelligent design scholars take this view. Um, this view states that what Moses saw were God-sized days, not 24-hour periods. Um, the word yam is used for both 24-hour periods and extended periods of time, like in Genesis 2-4, or when talking about the day of the Lord or the day of salvation. It's not one day, it's, it's, it's a period. Um, and they would say, even though it says evening and morning with Yom in Genesis 1, um, why would they have to be solar days when the sun is not even created until day four? why these are clearly some other type of day, uh, a, a different definition of evening and morning because the sun isn't even there until day four. Um, they would say this, that the ge geologic column seems to show that plants came first, followed by fish and birds, followed by animals, and then most recently by mankind, which is the exact order that God gives them. Um, reconciling the biblical record to science. God created a little at a time and many things he made went extinct, just like the fossil record shows. In this view, Adam and Eve are real people. He didn't use evolution, but created each after their kind, although all species have varieties within them with a common ancestor. That's all right. Here's, here's young earth creation. view. This is uh, Jim. And Dr. Humphreys, of course, the other day. And if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to that one, 
you know, go back and listen to it if you want to know more about this. Yeah, there's a there's a guy named Jay Seeger that has presented at our school several times that is Young Earth. Um, Ken Ham, of course, uh, is kind of the big voice today. Um, started with Henry Morris and his son, Dr. John Morris. Tom, um, do you know, and you might not know this, but I'm just wondering just for the listeners, because a lot of them know Nick. Do you know what what position Nick takes on creation? I'm not exactly sure. I'm not, I don't think Nick has settled. Um, oh, okay. I know that he's listened to my CDs, but I don't think he's settled on, on, a, on any specific opinion. Okay, cool. Um, in this view, all of creation, including the stars, angels, and happened in 144 hours, approximately 6,000 years ago. Um, in this view, the majority of modern scientists who believe in an old earth are wrong. Each of the radiation-based techniques, mainly C14 for fossils, um, of the C14 measures things that were recently alive, um, and potassium argon and uranium lead for minerals and rocks that can date much longer because they've, they've got much longer half-lives, assume a steady, unchanging rate of radiation and radiation lost in the past. A worldwide flood changed the atmosphere of this earth dramatically as water broke forth in volcanic eruptions from below and by the rain above, creating a whole new biosphere and most of the fossils that we have today. For this view, the geologic chart of the ages is a myth made up with evolution in mind. The geologic column is not a neatly ordered thing, but varies depending on where you test it. Even the order that is suggested and found in many places on earth up to a third of the earth, more or less reveals the column, could simply reflect the way things settled during the flood. Plants on the bottom, fish and birds second, um, animals swimming and running to higher places third and humans floating on things and using survival techniques on top. Um, and Young Earth cites many evidences of a worldwide flood, including polystrate fossils, where there are trees that go through many different um, layers. And supposedly those layers were millions of years. Uh, how could one tree go through 20 layers? Um, that would be exactly how it would be if there was a flood that took that tree up and that's just how it settled after the flood. Um, one of the key verses for the young earth creation view and Dr. Humphrey gave this um, is Exodus 20, 11, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And so for the young earth creationists, that's just like a slam dunk. This is, here's seven days, six of them were creation. If the seventh day is, is a 24-hour day, then the first six days are. Um, so there is a fourth way to reconcile science with the Bible um, that I'm going to give in a moment. Um, but first, I want to give what I believe is actually science about creation and what is only the faith of some scientists. Is that fair? Yeah. First, I believe the earth is old and that microevolution is science. First, let's talk about the age of the earth. Um, why do I think the earth is old? 
First, uh, the time for light to be seen from stars. We have some stars in the Milky Way that for us to see uh, them, the, they would have to have been there for at least 60,000 years because that's how long its light takes to get to Earth. There are some stars that are in other galaxies that we, we can see that it would take over a million years uh, light years for us to be able to see them, which tells us that that the, the universe, those stars had to be there for at least a million years for us to be able to see them on Earth now. Um, secondly, uh, Cuvier's discovery of extinctions. Um, the guy that is the, the cited as the father of modern geology and paleontology, paleontology is the study of fossils, is a guy named Georges Cuvier from France. And in the 1700s, he's the first guy that discovered extinctions. And he's like, this is crazy, but there are as many animals that have lived on the earth and gone extinct as there are animals still on this earth. And of course, dinosaurs are among them. And, um, and he's like, these have no relation to our present animals. These are the, the, the history of the earth is, uh, has been, there's been at least two catastrophes followed by new creations. And Cuvier said, and Cuvier was not a Christian, he was a naturalist, but he said the most recent was a worldwide flood that happened probably within the last 10,000 years. Um, and he cited um, that there's over 200 different cultures that have worldwide flood stories in them um, as, as part of his evidence. Um, the, uh, and then the third reason is uh, the radiometric dating of rocks, minerals and rocks. There's about 40 different minerals and they all give very old uh, and a very old age for the earth. Um, here's the, here's the difficulty with young earth creation. Um, it believes that it has the right interpretation of the Bible, that the, that the Bible says the earth is young. So it cannot think outside of that box. There is no, can Bill Nye ask Ken him, is there any evidence that I could give you? Is there anything that I could give you that says the earth is old? Ken Ham said, no, the Bible says it's young, therefore it's young. And so it's the, so young earth creationists are only trying to prove what they already believe. They cannot look at any evidence that says otherwise, which is why, um, and this, this is hard, but there are no scientists that believe in young earth without believing that the Bible says it first. Um, it would be a very strong argument for a young earth if we could say, here's people that don't believe in the Bible, but have scientifically come to the conclusion that the earth is young. Those people don't exist. The well, science. Oh, so, uh, once I was going to say, yeah, that. To me, that's the most intriguing part of it is that nobody outside of the Christian community believes in it. Because when I think about uh, Christianity and Jesus and the way that he speaks about renewing our minds, and I'm thinking like, okay, if my viewpoint 
adds up with the world's viewpoint, then maybe there's something wrong with my viewpoint. This is probably where I disagree with the most and maybe your argument about old earth. And I'm not an expert, but I am actually not even close to an expert. I'm just learning this stuff right now. But um, I'm wondering, like, at what at what point do we have to, as Christians, say, like, OK, what stuff that the world holds on to is stuff that we need to let go of? Because a lot of these scientists who claim to be Christians and claim to believe in evolution and old earth, it feels to me like they're just trying to put push in a, in a worldly agenda into scripture. And I, I mean, I don't know if you have an answer for that. Yeah. But that's well, well, stay with me. We'll get, we'll get to my view and why I believe it real soon. Yeah. So okay. um, micro evolution, this is what Darwin originally observed on the Galapagos islands. He he found 13 different types of finches, different size of bills, different colors, different, um, and he came to the conclusion that these 13 types of finches probably had a common ancestor. And, and that was the idea that there's a common ancestor. And now we've got all these different types that have come from one common ancestor. Okay. That's micro evolution. Micro means small scale. It is, yeah. it, it means that within DNA, you can have either a, a rearranging of the sequence or you can have a deletion of some of the sequence, but it's the same information and all it can make is some something of the same. So the, the experiment with the peppered moths, everything with the peppered moths ended up being a moth. We want to give an example of uh, uh, maybe something specific with microevolution compared to macroevolution, just so people. Sure. Can understand OK. This. OK. So so microevolution, observable microevolution. OK, here we go. Um, a crop of uh, wheat is attacked by aphids, okay? And so um, they, they sprinkle pesticides all over that crop um, and it kills off the aphids, okay? It kills off all of the pests. The only problem is it doesn't kill off all the pests. Some pests have the trait of immunity, okay? To that pesticide and that's the, that's the ones that multiply. And pretty soon that pesticide doesn't work anymore. That's why they have to keep changing pesticides, antibiotics, antibiotics. You take the antibiotics and it kills all the bacteria, but it doesn't kill all the bacteria because there's some that have the trait of immunity to that. And, and there's just enough variation or, or a rearranged sequence and some or deleted that, that some bacteria survive. They are the ones that multiply. And pretty soon those um, antibiotics don't work anymore. That is micro, that is micro evolution, mm -hmm. but it's still bacteria <laughs> and it's, it's, right. it, 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 it's still a, a, an aphid. It's, right. it, it, it's, it's small scale changes. Macro to, to adapt to the surrounding to like, basically. Yeah. yeah. To, 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 to be able to adapt. Mm -hmm. um, macro evolution which means large scale evolution is the combination of a very old earth with microevolution microevolution it says that given time that the species all arose out of a mud puddle that everything all living things started in a swamp with, uh, with a one-celled being and everything has evolved 
from that. It is just microevolution that we observe today, which we can say is science, and an old earth, which I think is science, and you put those together and boom, we have all the species. Well, there's, there's a lot of problems with it. Um, and I believe it is not science at all. I believe it is faith. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why I think it's faith, not science. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, first, we have to look at Darwin's theory, um, which, which, which must be examined for its own merits. But it's really important to know that it wasn't all about science for him. It was about theology. Um, he, his daughter Annie died in 1851 at 11 years old. And he, whatever faith he had was completely lost. Yeah. And uh, he said that he was departing with the God of the Bible And he made a theory called natural selection, and he insisted that there is absolutely no place for divine intervention. He he did not say he was an atheist. He said, I don't know how it started, but I know that there's no God lovingly watching over us. And his theory was an expression of this. He wrote to his, his friend, Charles Lyell. I would give nothing for the theory of natural selection if it requires miraculous additions at any one stage of descent. So this doesn't make his theory right or wrong, but it's really important for us to know that it was more than science for him. It was a philosophy. And um, that's just, it's just, it's part of who he was. Um, The problem with the theory from the very beginning was the fossil record. Um, there are five different arguments for evolution. Four of them are theoretical. And the fifth is the only one that could actually be tested, which is the fossil record. If evolution is true, it's the history of this planet and it should be found in the fossils. Cuvier, um, the father of modern geology and paleontology had all of the arguments uh, against Darwin 50 years earlier with a guy named Lamarck. Lamarck was saying the species all arose from one and that this is how life has come to be is through evolution and through the, the species built from one another. And Cuvier destroyed him in arguments. He's like, have you seen the fossil record? This isn't what the fossil record shows. The fossil record shows independent species no, no trail of fossils leading up to them, independent, free from any mess in the fossil record. And so here's what Darwin himself wrote. Darwin knew all about this. He knew all about the debate. So here's what he says in The Origin of the Species. Why then is not every geological formation and every stratum full of such intermediate links Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain. And this perhaps is the most obvious and gravest objection which can be argued against my theory. The reason why he said, he said, if the theory is true, we we will find the fossils to prove it. But the reason why we haven't found them yet is for two reasons. One, most animals do not leave a fossil. The only animals that leave to, to get a fossil, you have to die quickly covered by mud. Or so 
the fossils are only very brief snapshots in history. They are not the whole history of the planet. Um, so that's one. One, there aren't that many fossils. But two, he said, we haven't looked that hard. When we look, the fossil record will show this. Um, the, the, uh, the people that objected to Darwin's theory initially were not pastors or theologians. They were geologists. They were 100% against the theory. And then uh, a few years later, the Archaeopteryx was found. Uh, Archaeopteryx is a species of bird that has claws on its wings and teeth in its bills. And they felt like Darwin had predicted this and that this is clearly between a reptile and a bird. And therefore, boom, um, evolution is true. And so it was amazing how quickly science embraced this, uh, the theory of evolution. Mm -hmm. So the problem is, the problem was then fossils. The problem today for Darwinian evolution is, remains to be the fossils. Um, Stephen Jay Gould, who uh, was the professor of geology at Harvard, leading voice for evolution for many years. He was named um, in 2001, one of 83 living legends. Um, he, no one knew the fossil record better than him. And uh, he wrote, uh, made a theory with his, his friend, Niles Eldridge, also a professor at Harvard um, called Punctuated Equilibrium. Um, he, he fervently defended this again in his book right before he died in 2002. Um, but here's what he said about the fossil record. We have looked for 140 years since Darwin. And here's what the fossil record continues to be. It's marked by two things, sudden appearance, species appear all at once in the fossil record and are fully formed. Second, stasis. Mm. Species exhibit no directional change, but stay the same once they appear until they disappear from the fossil record and become extinct. He wrote this, that the lack of fossils showing a progression of evolution is, quote, the most puzzling fact of the fossil record. He wrote, the extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record is the trade secret of paleontology. Niles Eldridge, his partner, um, said this, we paleontologists have said that the history of life supposes the story of gradual adaptive change, all the while really knowing that it does not. Um, this problem is so, let me, t let, me t let me explain how bad the problem is. Well, you're talking real quick, just so I can clarify, you're talking about He's saying that there's no transitional fossils found in the entire like you would. I mean, this is a problem that I always had with with evolution, macro evolution, especially in like school and public school. I'd ask like, OK, if this is real, you think that we would have uh, a transitional fossils or we find fossils of animals that are in transition and they always bring up Lucy. And I don't know if you're going to get into Lucy, the you know, you know, Lucy, right? Are you going to oh, get absolutely, into that? absolutely. I, so. Right now, there are six, the, the largest, the largest um, collection of fossils in the, is in the British Museum, 60 million fossils. Not one of them 
is cited to be a transitional fossil. Now, they've got a whole room for Archaeopteryx. There's six Archaeopteryx. There's been 12 found in the whole world. Six of them are there. Here's the problem with Archaeopteryx. It's not a transitional fossil. It's fully formed. It's a fully formed species. It's very much like the duck-billed platypus. It's a unique species, but it's not transitional. A transitional fossil would be this. For every beaver fossil you find in the fossil record, you should find 10,000 almost beavers. Okay. Yeah. There, there's no almost they're they're all fully formed they're fully formed and, and some of them seemed like the, this would be between this and this um the the whole lineage of man that they used to put in in textbooks disaster nebraska man that won the scopes trial turned out to be a pig's tooth piltdown man turned out to be a stained fossil that was filed down and sold peking man is two teeth. These people are inventing stuff out of their mind. Lucy was found one right. and one was a mile away. Yeah, they're all miles and miles apart. And yep. This is this is people using their imagination to push an agenda. I think that it's important to say that they're pushing an agenda because I mean, I like Tom Tom's you're older than I am and I think that the public schools and not that I wouldn't expect them to not do this, but that I, I totally think it's important to say that they're lit. They're just pushing an agenda. I mean, if, if this is the case for all of these different types of man or men that they found, and yet these, these are, they find out later that these, these fossils are, are actually just like different animal teeth or different animals are found hundreds of miles apart from each other. You have to start to question. I think you have to start to question the entire breakdown of, of evolution. <laughs> See, see, man likes to be able to control things. If I can explain something, I can control. Like, for instance, with Gould, Do, Stephen Gould and, and Niles Eldridge, here's what they did in 1972. They didn't say Dar Darwin has been disproven, therefore evolution is false. They said, no, evolution is still true, just it didn't happen through micromutations. So they made a new theory. Here's their theory. It's called punctuated equilibrium. Okay. Here's how it works. Evolution never happened in the general population. It only happened in these little laboratories on the edges of populations. And in those little laboratories, they call them little laboratories, evolution did its quick work and there were punctuations of evolution. And so there would be a change, a new species would come forth. And then when it was able to survive, then it would go to the general population and then it would fill. And so, so what we find in the fossil record is exactly what punctuated equilibrium would predict, nothing. Um, and so what you end up with is, it really is the emperor's new clothes. It is, it is like, we now have a theory and now we don't have to have any fossils to prove it. Right. It's extremely convenient. But but at least at least it it retains the integrity of guys. This is what geology actually shows. See, 99 percent, not only of the general population, but of scientists assume the paleontologists have the fossils to prove evolution. They scientists don't check each other's works. They only have a very narrow part of study and they trust each other. And there shouldn't be a trade secret in paleontology. 
Mm-hmm. And so Richard Dawkins came along. Richard Dawkins is now the loudest voice. He's not a paleontologist. He's a biologist. And he has declared, we don't need fossils. He was no friend of Stephen Jay Gould. <laughs> we don't need the fossils. We have DNA. DNA itself mm-hmm. proves evolution. Well, that, that's just, he's, he's, he's just kind of a bully. And, um, and so we've gone back to Darwinism today. So punctuated equilibrium isn't even taught in classrooms today. It's only original Darwinism, even though the fossil record has disproven it, but science likes to explain everything. Um, so there, there are other issues with evolution. I'll just give you one other one, and then I'll get on to my thing to, to reconcile the Bible with science. Um, Sexual reproduction. So I was down on campus. I was asked to lecture on this down on campus, and I decided before I did it, I would go talk to a geology professor. So I got a got an appointment, got in with a, one of the geology professors, and uh, um, and they had their they had a, a student with them that was in their doctorate program or something, and his name was George. I remember him, and uh, and I was saying here's what you have to believe, to believe, to believe the theory of evolution. It's, see, it's not enough to have a man evolve. However amazing it would be to get a man to evolve, you have to have a female evolve at the same time in the same place, or there's no way to reproduce. Now, the problem with that is a female's reproductive system is way more complicated than a man's, which would mean it would take way longer to evolve randomly. And we would have have gone extinct. Exactly. So you have to have both of them evolve at the same place in the same time. And and of course, it's not just a man and woman. It's a male and a female of every type of animal. You have to this. And so George, who is the who is the, the doctorate student? He says, it's not that hard to imagine that. I said, well, well, tell me about that. He said, first, you need to uh, imagine, um, we've we've proven there can be asexual frogs and and, and now now multiply that. Imagine a massive population and imagine this over a long period of time. and, 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 and And he used the word imagine the third time. And I stopped him and I said, George, You have used the word imagine three times. I am not telling you what to believe. I am not telling you that you should believe the Bible instead of whatever. We live in America. You believe whatever you want to. But you guys are saying what you believe is science and what we believe is stupid because it's just faith. And you've used the word imagine three times. So, so don't tell like the first sentence. Don't, don't tell me we're talking about science. We're talking about an imagination and yes, you can use your imagination and you can believe whatever you want to and you can reduce it and make it easier. But just don't make us feel stupid because we don't believe what you believe. And he got a huge smile on his face. And he says to me, no one should be made to feel stupid for what they believe. <laughs> um, hmm. All right, let's get to uh, my view of reconciling the Bible with creation. This will be fun. I we sat down. I just want to. Me and you sat down at Denny's probably a month or two ago and talked about your this viewpoint 
oh, like gotten deep into it. And I, I still have a lot of questions about it that I haven't gotten to ask you. So I'm excited to, to like dig into this, like old earth and the, and what you have to say. Cause there's like some things I'm just preparing people for it. There's some things that are so, I never thought about it. Like they're interesting things to think about. So I got, yeah, I guess go ahead. I'm just, I'm excited for this part. So the Bible says in Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then it says that the earth, earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the earth. I believe that the first creation happened in Genesis 1, 1, and I believe we have no idea when that was. The best guess of scientists is four and a half billion years ago. Um, but it happened in the distant past. And then I believe something happened to the original earth. I believe that Lucifer had a kingdom on this earth. I believe he had a throne on this earth. I believe he was in the ancient earth. And I believe that God judged him and judged the angelic kingdom and the whole earth at that time came under that judgment. And that's why it was left without form and void. Um, I believe. Do you, what, do you have, do you have like any scripture that talks more about the kingdom of the, of bro, say, or like the. Bro, I, I haven't even started yet. I, you, you just get, get your seat. Okay. Belt. I'm sorry. I'm. <laughs> You're excited. I know. I know I'm this. just trying to make get sure. Get ready. Get ready, because here we go. All right, um, all right. Um, I, I believe that we, in verse two, this ver this this world that is without form and void and darkness on the face of the earth, is a judged earth, and that God is now giving it a new beginning. He is redeeming the earth, and when He says, um, "Let there be light." Um, Light is already in the universe. He's already created the heavens and the earth, and now it is coming into the earth. All right, let me give you the six biblical reasons I believe that the earth was here before the day one of Genesis. Um, heaven and earth were here before the six days. When I first became a believer and I read Genesis 1 for the, for the first time as a believer, I was stunned that God never creates the earth during the six days. The earth is there before day one. <laughs> the earth is already there. It's in darkness. It's underwater, but it is already there. Day one is when he says, let there be light on the earth. And that the spirit was, was brooding over the earth before the six days of that we call creation days. Um, number two, Satan was already here. When you read Genesis 1, you are like, it is good, very good. Everything God has made is good, very good. And we are in this perfect Eden. And that just seems to be the story until you get to chapter three. And then all of a sudden there's this serpent that is evil and there's no explanation of where he came from. He's already evil 
and he's in that garden and we don't know how he became evil. Um, here's what Jesus said. This is John chapter eight, verse 44. Satan was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. Now, what that means, you can go two places with that. One, you could say he was a murderer and a liar from his beginning, which would mean that God created him as Satan, that God created him to be a murderer and evil. That is unthinkable. God doesn't make evil things. God, God, it, there's no darkness in God, okay? So all it can mean is he was a murderer and a liar from our beginning. He was already Satan at our beginning. He had already fallen at our beginning. Does that is a leftover? Does that have anything to do with your that does that have anything to do with Calvinism and Arminianism? And I I know we kind of talked about this one time, but the idea that like Satan needed to choose to be evil, that God didn't create him to be evil. But you know, humans and angels, who knows if we ha are on the same like like you know predestination or free will you know what i'm saying i'm just wondering if there's any connection there that's another podcast bro i uh, yeah it is <laughs> it's gonna have to be another podcast um he is already here he is a leftover from the last creation and he's already here he's on earth he his the earth that he was on was judged and this is where we will go next. Um, the, the word um, was can just as easily be translated became. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Can e just as easily be translated became. In fact, that word is translated. It's the word haya, H-A-Y-A-H. It's translated became 67 other places, um, including Genesis 1926, where it says that Lot's wife became a pillar of salt. She, it, she was a pillar of salt, but only because she became it. And um, the earth became without form and void. It says in Isaiah 45, 18, that God did not create anything a waste or without form. It's the word without form and void is tohu vabohu. That is the that is the Hebrew words. And the Bible says he created nothing tohu. It it became tohu vabohu. The original NIV translators that worked 1966, it was dated 1973. The first asterisk in the NIV Bible was on the word was. And it you go down to the bottom, it says, or possibly became. They they struggled. Is should this be was or should this be became? Because it's a very different thing if the earth was created, God created the heavens and, the earth, and then they became tohu vabohu. Now, here is the interesting thing about the phrase tohu vabohu. It is used only two other times in the Hebrew scriptures. It is used in um, Isaiah 35, 8 through 10. And it's speaking of Edom. Edom rebelled against God and God sent desolating judgment on the rebellion that left them tohu vabohu. It is used of Israel in Jeremiah 4.23. Once again, 
Israel rebelled, God judged them and left them tohu vabohu. This is the only other place that that phrase is used. I believe God created the heavens and the earth. Lucifer lived on the early earth with a, with a kingdom of angels and God judged his rebellion. He said, I, I, I will exalt my throne above the earth. I will, he had a throne. This is Isaiah 14. Um, he was in a garden of Eden at the beginning. Um, ex, uh, uh, Ezekiel 28, where there were rubies and gems and he was the, he was the anointed cherub and then pride was found in him and judgment came. There are two judgments in the Bible, two massive judgments. One is about people. And of course it tells us that's the Bible stories, our fall and our redemption. The story of the demonic, the fall of the angels is not told in scripture. It is hinted at, it is referenced in Revelation 12, that Satan and his angels fell out of heaven. A third of them fell. It is referenced, but we're not told that story. God tells us the stories we need to know. And all, all Jesus really says about Satan is, here's, he's here, there's demons here, and here's how to deal with them. But he doesn't give a, he doesn't satisfy all of our curiosity. Um, but I believe that, 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 that the earth is old, that God created it, there was an, an, it was perfect. I believe Lucifer had a kingdom on it, and then it was judged and became tohu vabohu because of God's judgment. And that what we find in day one and six is a recreation that God is bringing life back to the earth. Number four, God's definition of earth. In verses nine and 10 of Genesis 1, God, God gathers the waters together, it says, and dry land appears, and he calls the dry land earth. Now, if God's definition of earth is dry land in verse 10, doesn't it make sense that when he, in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth, that the earth was dry land? His own definition of earth is dry land in verse 10. So shouldn't, shouldn't that earth be dry land in one and that the reason why it's covered with water in verse two is because something happened to it? I was going to just say the earth comes up out of the water, correct? That, that, is that what it says? The earth comes yeah, he up. separates the water. He gathers the water on place right. and dry land appears and appears. he calls the dry land earth. Mm. Word as in verse one. Yeah. Earth, God's definition of earth is dry land. So you're saying the implication here is that the earth was right when God said it in the created dry and then right. when he judged it, it, it was underwater. That's why darkness was and water was over the face of the earth, which, by the way, and I just thought of this could add up with with how God dealt with judgment, maybe before before this, because the, in the flood, God judges earth by flooding the earth and getting rid of all the bad people and the bad stuff. And so this could be that he had judged the earth previously by flooding with, it. With, getting... a flo with, with a flood. Absolutely. Sure. Okay. Number, uh, number six, the difference between Bara and Asa create and made. Um, in Genesis one, God uses two different words. Uh, one is Bara, which is always translated create and Bara 
is used relatively few times. It is something only God does. It's only used about God. God creates things. God, sometimes he creates them out of nothing. Sometimes bara is just used that he created something new, something that did not exist before, okay? The other word is asa, asa, A-S-A-H, and it primarily means to do, um, and it's used everywhere in the Old Testament. There's only, there's only like 10,000 ancient Hebrew words, and so these words used a lot of functions, but whenever it is used to, to translate it make, to make something, it's always out of pre-existing conditions. So it is asa, man makes a lot of things. Every time, God, man never creates anything, but it, he makes things, asa. He takes things that already exist and makes something else out of them. Now, asa is also used of God. God both creates clay and then he makes something out of the clay. But him creating it and him making it are two different things. Bara is only used um, three times in Genesis 1 for the creation of the heaven and earth in one, for the creation of birds, and for creating mankind. Um, in all the other places, it's Asa that is used. For instance, when God made um the heaven and the earth in seven and eight um, and nine and 10, he makes, he makes the heaven by separating the waters from above from the waters are beneath. And he calls the atmosphere heaven. So, but he didn't create it out of nothing. He, it was already there and he separated the waters and he called that heaven in verses nine and 10. When he makes the earth, he, he gathers the waters and dry land appears He's, he's working on them. He's doing something on them, but he's not creating them at that time. They're already there and he's forming them, if you will. Okay. So I, I, this might be it. So just to, so I can try to clarify this in my head. So is there then a gap between verse one and all these other verses? Like is verse one saying like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. So that happened. That was the way beginning. And then, right. are, and then you're saying from, from that there, point, that's on, where the gap is. The, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the earth and waters were on the face of the earth. And the spirit of God was brooding over the earth. That's verses two and three. The, so you're the gap is between gap between the beginning, right? One and that's two. Where, that's where the fall came. That's okay. where all of Lucifer came. The judgment came. And, and so we've got a, an earth that's underwater that is dark. Um, and that is um, the spirit of God is brooding over waiting for for God. Now, real quick, is there anything I don't know if you know, like the Hebrew, but is there anything, any indicators in the Hebrew? I mean, I know you've been breaking it down a little bit, the words, but I guess between the first two verses, is there any indication that it that those two things are like completely separated in like a, a vast amount of time? You know what I mean? Like, it, it, is there any indication that those things are separated in time? Nope. Okay. I'm just one. I was just wondering, yeah, if that, you know, yeah. so, so some people think Genesis one, one is not him creating the heavens and the earth, but that it's an introduction to these six days. The problem is, is the earth's already there before day one. So how can it be an introduction when earth, he, you never see 
God said, let there be the earth. Hmm. He created the earth, the heavens and the earth in verse one, and the earth's already there. It's dark. It's, it's without form. Um, One more question. Sorry. No, keep going. The, um, Okay, so this is interesting. Do you think then that the earth was just there alone because later on God did create the stars in the sky and that that's saying like he created stars, galaxies, the rest of the universe. So do you think that the earth was just the only thing in existence like in this universe or this time? I don't know. I don't even know what you I mean, it's a confusing thing, but uh, in that like dimension, like was it just earth and then no, later no, on? The, no, the universe is all there. You think the the universe is all there. In the beginning, he creates the heavens and the earth. The earth is glory. The stars are there. The sun is there. The moon is there. They are all shining. It says the darkness is on the face of the earth. It doesn't say the darkness is filling up the universe. It's only on the face of the earth. In Job, it says that after God created, he wrapped up the earth in 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 dark clouds like swaddling cloths. So you got to picture the earth under this judgment and now surrounded by deep clouds, okay? So when God says on day one, let there be light, light starts coming through penetrating the clouds so that there's evening and morning the first day. It okay. is a fuller day. The sun's already there. It, the, to me, it's proof that the sun is already there, that he uses evening and morning and Yom is with it. It is a 24-hour day. Why? Sun's already there. How did it get there? Verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The stars are already there. The earth is already there. The stars are shining. Judgment has come on the earth. So the earth is underwater now and there are dark clouds around it. And so God- this this interpretation, your interpretation is it, it hinges on the, that it, uh, in, in the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. Now the heavens, that heavens translation would be then the skies and the galaxy and the universe. I know sometimes heavens is translated to like the, the heavenly realm and where God is. And, and that's a different dimension. And so I was like, that's kind of why I was asking that question because, because that, I mean, it could also mean that God created like the heavens, like literally, because if verse one is the beginning of everything, then God had to have also created the heavens for the angels to live. Exactly. And so that could be the third heaven as well. It could be the angels. It could be everything. Point is this. We don't know. There's mystery. Verse one. We don't know when it was, but we know it happened. And we also know that darkness, it doesn't say darkness was filling the universe. It says darkness was on the face of the earth. Uh So the earth is dark. Not everything else is dark. So I'm picturing stars, radiant stars. So then, um, what about verse 16 when he made the sun and the moon and the stars? Okay. Um, he didn't create them then. He cre- They were already created in verse 1. He removed the cloud cover so that from earth completely that the, the light first came through the clouds in day one and, and on day four completely removed it. So on earth, you could see the sun, the moon, and the stars. The word there is Asa. It is not bara. It is not a creation word. He worked on them just like he removed the water and dry land appeared and he called it earth. Now he removes the cloud cover and now we can see the, um, the, the word asa is also translated brought forth. So it, it could simply mean he brought forth 
the, the sun and the moon and the stars on day four. It's these ancient Hebrew words were used in so many different ways. And so I'll, get, I'll just give you one, one Hebrew translation of 15 through 17. And let them be luminaries in the expanse of air to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God brought forth two great luminaries, the great luminary to govern the day and the lesser luminary to govern the night, the stars also. God gave them forth in the expanse of the earth. So it is Asa. So young earth creationists, their big verse is Exodus 20, verse 11. Real quick question before you go there. Because yeah. it's uh, do you think, so So what, what you're saying here is that that maybe this is written from the perspective of the earth. Cause usually when I'm reading Genesis, I'm thinking from the perspective of God. And if it's from the perspective of the earth, then the opening of the clouds and the sun coming in would make sense because, because you're looking at it from the perspective of on earth. Whereas if, if you're looking at the perspective from God, and then you say that the, uh, the earth, was created, then it would have to actually be created because God sees all things. Does that make, does that make any sense? Well, well, I mean, it's written by Moses. He probably gets this revelation while he's on the Mount, Mount Sinai. And so it would be, it would make sense to write it from earth's perspective. Um, so, but, but the big verse that they use of Exodus 20, 2011, um, it says that, that God in six days, he made, the heavens and the earth and the sea. And the word there is Asa. It's not bara. He made them during the six days. He made earth by clearing the dry land, by spreading the waters. And he called that earth. He made heavens by taking the waters from above and separating the waters. And he called that heaven. And that's when the seas were created because he moved the water and he called them seas. That was all during the six days. But that was not the creation. That was the, the work days. He worked on them for six days, which is what the Sabbath is picturing, is work for six days and rest. It's not creation. It's work. God made and worked on the earth for six days. All right. So what does the geologic record actually show? It's my last point. Okay. And then we can just chat. So I went down a second time on, onto the campus to talk to the same professor and I couldn't find that professor. And uh, there was another professor there um, who was actually her boss. And he said, uh, she's not here, but tell me what you got. I, I, I'd love to hear what you got. And I, I said, all right. And he, sa- and he said, I'm gonna warn you. He said, I'm happy to listen to it, but I'm probably not gonna be able to comment real conclusively on it because I'm a scientist. We're very specific in what our, our, you know, our knowledge is. So I said, uh, I said, I said, here's what I perceive as the basic agreed upon facts for geology. Um, that the Pleistocene age or ice age ended recently in the last 10,000 years. That there were mass extinctions at the end of the Pleistocene age and the mystery of disharmonious associations. After the Ice Age, um, they have found all of these animals where they should not be. We've got many, many warm weather animals in at both poles, 
and eating vegetate. We had lots of disharmonious things um, happening. And, um, and we have all of these animals that have been found extinct all because of the ending of the ice age. Um, he was interested when, when I talked about the disharmonious associations, he said, and what you're saying is absolutely true. He said, my professor is the one that coined that phrase, disharmonious associations. Um, and then we talked about all of the large animals that went, um, 167 large mammals went extinct at the ice age, saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths and all the, just huge numbers of animals and plants all went extinct all at the same time. Um, there was a guy named Hibben that wrote about what he found in Alaska um, in, in 1946. It was, it was during the summer, so it was warm. And here's what he found. The evidence, this is a quote, the evidence of the violence of nature combined with the stench of rotting carcasses was staggering. The ice fields containing these remains stretch for hundreds of miles in every direction. Trees and animals, layers of peat and mosses twisted and mangled together like some giant mixer had jumbled them up some 10,000 years ago and then froze them into a solid mass. The evidence immediately suggests an enormous tidal wave which raged over the land, tumbling animals and vegetation, which was then quick frozen. And when I say quick frozen, there was grass and undigested food in the stomachs of woolly mammoths. Woolly mammoths complete with their hair on, everything on, and undigested food that didn't decay. And scientists say that the only way that could have happened is if the temperature had changed 150 degrees in 24 hours. To, for it to not decay, there had to have been a flood that put it underwater so that it was fossilized whole like it was, and it had to have been quick frozen in that mud. Um, so we talked about that, and then I said, and that there was a time after the Ice Age of up to 3,000 years, two to 3,000 years of a more equable climate on Earth, warmer on the poles, and increased moisture in the desert that we today call the Holocene Climate Optimum. This, is, this has been found, fruit trees have been found in the North Pole. Um, the deserts have been found to have all kinds of animals and vegetation buried in them. They used to be moist. The poles used to be warm. And this was called the Holocene Climate Optimum. There was a greater greenhouse over the earth and it lasted for two to 3,000 years right after the Ice Age. And no one knows how it ended. We are now living in what's called the Holocene age. Holocene optimum ended. We don't know why it ended or how it ended, but it ended. And now we're in the Holocene age. So, and then I gave him the problems with the current theory. Number one, current theory does not explain why vegetation did not decompose in the mouths of men. The, the current theory is basically the reason why all these animals went extinct after the ice age was that man started multiplying and killing them off. That's basically it. Doesn't explain why vegetation did not decompose in the molds of mammoths. Doesn't explain why warm weather creatures were all around the mammoths in Siberia and Alaska, the disharmonious associations. Doesn't explain how mammoths survived without the glands of today's Arctic animals. They were supposedly made it through the ice age and they didn't have any of the glands that Arctic animals have today. 
And it doesn't explain how they survived alongside a number of other large animals with so little food supply. When elephants today need 300 pounds of food every day, how could all of these animals go extinct right when the food supply increased? It just doesn't make sense. They made it through the ice age and now there's tons of food and they all go extinct. So he stops me at this point. And he says, before you go on, he says, let me say something to you. You came into this office and I told you up front, I'm not going to be able to comment because I, I've got a very narrow. But he said, do you see these books on my desk? He's got books piled on his desk. He said, do you know that these are all about the Pleistocene fossils? He said, this is my area. This is the most specific um, study of mine. He said, I, I want, before you go on, everything you have said about the current problems with our theory now is right on. The conditions you described are right. The problems with current theory are right on. I said, okay, but can I give you my theory? A more plausible theory. He's like, go ahead. Hmm. Here's my theory. A Pleistocene, the Pleistocene or Ice Age ended when God recreated the world less than 10,000 years ago. He created a whole new set of animals and placed them in a moist greenhouse-like climate that we today call the Holocene Climate Optimum. After a few thousand years, God judged the earth with a worldwide flood, which removed some of the moisture in the air, leading to a world of extreme temperatures, cold on the poles, and hot in the deserts. The flood was not just water coming down. It was eruption, volcanic eruptions coming up that would have created a cloud cover that would have made those temperatures for the next 24 hours go very, very cold. There'd be no sunlight. We have moved from the optimum to the Holocene age. Mammoths and other animals, animals all of these animals that we found extinct after the Ice Age were actually killed in floodwaters, buried in mud, and then quickly froze in the change of climate. Carbon-14 dating, which can only be independently verified up to 5,000 years, um, changes if, if C14 to C12 is a ratio. It is based on C12 is stable and, it, and, it, and C14 um, is, has a half-life, it's, it's radiation. However, if there's a greater greenhouse, less C14, less radioactive gets into the atmosphere. So there would have been less C14 to absorb, which would mean that any animals dated today that died in the flood would appear way older than they actually were because the ratio would have been different. So I get done with this and here's what he says to me. He says, I have been teaching at this university for seven years. He says, and what we teach here is our theories. He said, there are some theories I was teaching seven years ago that I'm not teaching anymore. He said, what you have there is a theory. And he said, as far as I'm concerned, it's as good as any other theory I've heard. And he shook my hand and I left. Now, does that mean that this is right? No. It just means this is just as plausible as any other theory they have. We got that from one of their top professors at the university. 
that it's not stupid to believe there was a worldwide flood. It's not stupid to believe what Christians believe. In fact, um, there's actually a lot of evidence for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, when I hear that, I mean, I, it's like, it's intriguing and I don't think anybody really has ever said, has told me that theory in my entire life. Like, I think that that's pretty unique one. Um, I mean, I, I don't have like tons of questions about it, but I'm thinking about like, it feels like a lot of it is based upon, and a lot of all of these uh, theories are based upon how you read Genesis and, and, and like what way that you read Genesis. So like, the way that you read Genesis is that there's a gap between verse one and verse two and that, and, and uh, different tra- like and how you interpret the translations and whatnot. And I think that that's the same for six day and, and everybody else. Um, but to me, I, I mean, I don't know. Every time I hear what once every time I think that I have decided, then Tom tells me something else. And then I have to question everything that I believe in. <laughs> and, and bro, here's all I'm asking for. What, however you reconcile it, please hold it loosely and don't make this the, the end all. I mean, I have a lot of problem with Dr. John Morris's statement that if the earth is not young, then the gospel is not true. Give me a break, John. Maybe is it possible your interpretation of Genesis 1 is wrong? maybe the gospel is not resting on your interpretation of Genesis one. Yeah. People need to lighten up a little. We, I tremble at the word of God. I believe the word of God. I honor the word of God, but there are a lot of other people that honor it and believe it and tremble at it. That believe how it all came about a little differently, but they still love Jesus. They're still trying to live holy lives. They're still filled with the Holy spirit. Um, can we agree to disagree and have dialogue like we're having now? Or do I have to cast you as a compromiser? If you don't believe in a young earth, then you, then you are a second class Christian because you have compromised the word of God. You're just compromising with evolution. You're compromising with science and you're trying to win. Settle down. No, I'm not. No, I've thought a lot about this. Um, it, 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 it's just, I think science has proven the earth is alive. I remember when Bill, Bill Nye and Ken Ham debated, uh, all, Bill, all Bill Nye wanted to talk about was the age of the earth. Why? Ken Ham cannot win that argument. Ken Ham well, is going to lose that argument every time. What, what I wanted Ken Ham to talk about was evolution. There are so many gaps in evolution. There are so many problems with evolution. But the, the evolutionists, they don't want to talk about that because there, there are problems. There's amazing problems with evolution. But that they're always going to win the age of the earth battle. Well, I was, I, I watched that, uh, that entire debate before I did the last podcast. And uh, just for the record, I do not think Bill Nye answered any of the questions that was asked to him. Bill Nye kept going back to the same exact things as well. And I'm not saying you're defending Bill Nye, but, but I think that that, that debate in general was just about like, I'm going to continue talking on the same exact points over and over and over again for both people. And they didn't get anywhere with it. And, and I just didn't feel like it was a right. productive thing. Right. But Bill Nye was declared the winner because of when he said to Ken Ham, is there any proof I could give you for an older that you would believe? And Ken Ham said, no, because the Bible says the earth is young. Well, that means we're not in science anymore. Somebody has already decided what they believe. 
So they can't look at any evidence that says other one. I've already decided, I believe. Well, but I think I, it means one of two things. It's either we're not in science anymore or that scripture or that Ken Ham's interpretation of scripture is real and it is science. I think it says one of those two things. I didn't think Ken Ham actually lost that debate. I, I also absolutely can't stand Bill Nye, so I'm, def I'm definitely probably biased. But, like, I, I didn't think that he lost. I, I thought that... Oh, Ken right, Ham and I'm just talking about what the commentator said afterwards. Sure, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I, I think, right, I think that, that you're right about this, what it comes down to is that, like, right, I, I'm not a big fan of when people are like, if you don't believe in six-day creation, then there's no way that you can believe in the gospel. I think that's pretty messed up. But I do think that we should continuously be trying to get get to the point of unity in what we believe about scripture because i think that sometimes it does get messy and i think that leaving leaving it so wide open like for me i do struggle with christians believing in evolution and believing in the bible and trying to say and trying to say well you know some of the bible is literal some of the bible isn't literal and and i get to decide based off of what i want to decide because then then you do have to question okay then what parts of the gospel do you think are literal or not literal because if they start doing that like so i think that it, it's a slippery slope thing and i think that i think as believers we got to be careful with with what things we're we're with how we're looking at scripture and going it to it and trying to do that through the lens of the holy spirit and not through our and, own lens and i appreciate that bro i i I am a Genesis guy. I believe Genesis is history and not poems and not uh, because Adam, Adam is listed as one of our ancestors in, in the gospel of Luke. I mean, at what point does it become real? If, if he was fiction, then how is, is the next one fiction? And, and then is Abraham fiction or when, when does it become real? I mean, to me, the reason why the genealogies are listed they're not just listed in Chronicles. They're listed also in Genesis and Genesis five. We're given the, the there. And then they're given again in Matthew and Luke. Why history? This yeah. is, history. this is not just a story. The, the, right. This is history. And so I believe Adam and Eve were real people. I believe the events happen as they happen. I don't think the Bible's trying to give everything that happened. It's giving specific things that happen for theological reasons. It's, it's, it's about our soul. It's about our, thing but nevertheless I, I believe it's history as well and, and I know you do too and and so I get that but uh, you know people love that love Jesus and love the word of God and think about it differently than I do uh, they're my brothers and sisters mm -hmm. and, and I want to make a wide place for that and we can have spirited debate about it but I remember the four things that I gave that we all agree on they're big Yep. God created. He, he is, there is a purpose behind it. We're the highest creation. The fall happened. Redemption comes through Christ. We agree on all of that. So let's love each other and we can talk about this stuff. And, but I don't want Christians to be afraid of reading science. I don't want them to be afraid of looking at studies. I don't want them to be afraid of, of reading stuff on the big bang. Um, I want them to be able to read it and not feel like this truth will challenge my truth. No, all truth is God's truth wherever it's found. Um, so that's what I got. Yeah. yeah. All truth. Yeah. And I think that all, like, I mean, the whole point of all this talking about this stuff, I guess for me and this podcast is to try to bring unity from different perspectives. Cause I think that like it can become hostile sometimes and, and extremely People can become bitter and angry and dogmatic with their 
viewpoints on creation. And then, and then the next thing you know, nobody wants to work with each other on sharing the gospel. So I, I, yeah, I mean, I just think it's important uh, for people to keep in mind, you know, like if you have a friend that, and you disagree with this stuff on, you can still remain friends and you don't have to. I love Jim. Jim, he has evidence press and Jim was over here videotaping me, sharing the gospel and giving my testimony and, we support his minute. We or we we did support his ministry. We gave a gift to his ministry. I love Jim. I'm for Jim. We we differ on how we see creation. That's okay. Yeah, no. yeah. So I mean, is there any any last things you want to say, or do you want to pray, or, or something as we as we? Go I'd really like this? to pray. I'd really like to pray. Lord, right. thank you so much for your love and for your goodness. And Lord, I, I just pray we would delight in creation. You said in Genesis, in, in Romans 1.20 that, that your nature is clearly seen by the things that you have made. And everywhere we look, we see your beauty. We see your um, enormity in the stars. We see your care for detail in cells. Um, but most of all, we just see your unbelievable design all around us. And it's like, wow, you are God. No one can figure this out. How, how does a whole tree come out of a seed? How does the human eye see? How many million nerves have to come out of the brain and connect with the, 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 those coming out of the cornea so that sight can happen? What a miracle that is all around us. Surely we are um, fearfully and wonderfully made. And so, Father, I pray that we wouldn't taint the wonder of creation by our strong opinions that that can end up being very divisive. Help us to love one another, listen to one another and value one another, even if we can't agree with each other. And Lord, I pray you put a special blessing on Andy for spending so much time listening to us talk. Thank you for him in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Tom, thanks for coming on again. We appreciate it. The fans like you. They tell me they like you, so thanks for coming on. <laughs> Maybe they won't anymore. I don't know. <laughs> All right, bro. Yeah, Bye. not anymore. All right, cool.